<clears throat> I have, I've mentioned this little devotional book uh, a couple times during this series. It was given to me by my campus minister uh, at the University of Georgia, uh, which is the other undefeated team in the SEC East. Uh, and its, it's words uh, have helped influence my thinking and understanding uh, of the gospel. It was, it was written by Watchman Nee, uh, who was a leader in the Chinese church during the 20th century. He was persecuted because of his faith in Jesus uh, and spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. But the book's called Sit, Walk, Stand, uh, and it's written about Paul's message uh, here to the church in Ephesians. And Nee summarizes the whole message to uh, the church in those three words. So he summarizes chapters one through three with that word sit, and then chapters four and five with the word walk, and then chapter six with the word stand. And so that's how he came up with the title of the book. And it really is a helpful way uh, to think about Ephesians. Uh, If you recall from chapter two, Paul writes about our being more than just recipients of the gospel. He uses the threefold repetition of the term together with to proclaim that we're also participants in the gospel. Um, In verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, God has made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, God has raised us up together with Christ. And also in verse 6, God has seated us together with him in the heavenly realms. And so followers of Jesus, this is our position in him. It's one of sitting, meaning that we trust him. You see, sitting is an attitude of rest. When we sit down, we rest our entire weight on a chair. The same is true when we trust in Christ. When we trust in Jesus for our salvation, then we sit down. We confidently rest our whole being in the Lord. And that's the first step of the Christian life, is to sit, to rest in what Christ has already done for us. That's chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. The second step of the the Christian life is to walk. You see, sitting describes our position in Christ. Walking is the practical outworking of our position that's in Christ here on earth. And this is chapters 4 and 5. Eight times in these two chapters, Paul uses this word walk. It's used figuratively by Paul to describe our behavior, our conduct. So these two chapters, Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, have to do with how we're to live, how we're to walk, with our behavior, with our conduct. And I want to just connect the dots quickly for you. So if you go back to chapter 4 in verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life, there's that word walk, to walk worthy of the calling you have received, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so right there at the outset of these two chapters where he's dealing with our conduct and our behavior, he says we are to walk in love. That's what we're to do. That's our conduct. That's our guide. That's our mission. That's, we hit that on the way out of the door as we head out onto the playing field each week. 
We walk in love. Then in verse 17 through 19 of chapter 4, Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live, there's our word walk, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And so the warning there, the message there is do not walk in darkness. So walk in love here at the outset, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Here, 17 through 19, chapter 4, do not walk in darkness. Then, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, which we looked at last week, become imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here it is again, walk in love. If you missed it the first time, here it is again, walk in love. And then in verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here's our word again, walk as children of light. And so if you connect the dots, it's walk in love, do not walk in darkness, walk in love, walk as children of light. And so that's the message to us. That's what Paul's getting at here. In these two main chapters where he focuses on our conduct and our behavior, the message is clear. We walk as children of light in this world by walking in love. To put it another way, this kind of love, this Christ-like love, this agape love, the selfless, sacrificial, suffering love of the Son has brought light into the darkness of your life. And as you and I become imitators of God, this love, as we imitate God and walk in this love, we bring light, just like he's brought life into the darkness of our life. As we imitate God and walk in that love, we bring light into the darkness of the world. But here's the thing. It makes sense, right? You, you kind of connect the dots. We got it. But here's the thing, if you do not know the love of Jesus Christ, if you do not know that he gave himself up for you in order to reconcile you to God, in order to break down the walls of hostility between you and your fellow man, if you do not know the glory and the beauty and the extent of the love of Christ for you, then you remain in the dark. You're in the dark. The pivotal verse here to verses uh, 3 through 20, which is the text that we're looking at today and next week. The pivotal verse is verse 8 of chapter 5. I want to read it to you from a couple of versions. The New Living, which uh, Gregory read, again, for once you were full of darkness but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, the message. You groped your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. 
So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. Again, the NIV 84, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, so live as children of light. Now, verses 3 through 20 pivots around this one verse. The verses that were read earlier, uh, verses 3 through 7, this describes the life you once lived as darkness. The verses after it that we're going to look at next week describe the life you now live as light. And so I've titled the message today, In the Dark. In the message next week, Into the Light. And so this morning, we're going to study the verses prior to verse 8, beginning uh, with verse 3. And this, I I really, you know, you could have read through this for years and years and have missed this, and um, I really want to sit here and point this out because I don't want you to miss it again. But the contrast that Paul makes here between verse 2 and verse 3 is striking. There's that little word, but, which is a word of contrast, but it's easy to just kind of read over that and not sense how striking this contrast is that Paul sets up here. The contrast between the self-giving, self-sacrificing love of verse 2 and the self-gratifying, self-serving, self-taking lust of verse 3 is striking. And please don't miss it. These verses are polar opposites of one another. The love of verse 2 is referred to as light. And the lust of verse 3 is referred to as darkness. Verse 2 is the love of Christ. Verse 3 is the lust of the world. Now, I mentioned last week that we have a love problem. We've come to define love to mean everything, and therefore it's come to mean nothing. So unfortunately, in our day, both verse 2 and verse 3 are called love. And because that is the case... I want you to think about them as two opposite ends of one spectrum. On one end is love defined by the cross. And on the other end is love, air quotes, defined by lust. On this end of the spectrum, the cross. On this end of the spectrum, lust. On one end is the self-giving, self-sacrificing love of Jesus. It gives. And on this other end is the self-gratifying, self-serving, self-taking love that we call lust. It takes.
And I think the church finds itself on the middle of this spectrum. Not fully walking in the love of Christ. And still often tempted to walk in the lust of the world. So Paul writes to the church on the middle of this spectrum a message still extremely relevant today. Walk in the love of Christ. Do not walk in the lust of the world. Become children of light and have nothing to do with the darkness. Back in chapter 4, those verses I read to you, verses 17 through 19, um, Paul writes there that you you must not walk in the darkness. Um, The people that he describes there are those who are darkened in their understanding. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's kind of like the dimmer switch has been turned all the way down, lowered on their understanding until everything's just gone black. And they give themselves over to sensuality and indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. They're in the dark. Then, in chapter 5 and verse 3, our text today, Paul uses the same language as chapter 4, verse 19. The same order when he says, you must not even let there be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed. Interestingly, the word translated as continual lust for more in chapter 419 is the same word translated here as greed. And that makes sense because greed is having a continual lust for more. Now, I think typically we might read the word greed and think money, But in this verse, that's not what Paul's referring to. Paul's referring to sexual immorality and lust. You see, on one end of this spectrum, love gives, love gives and gives and gives itself away. It's agape love. It's the way of Christ. He gave himself up for us. We let The gospel defined love for us. We talked about that last week in verse 2. That's at this end of the spectrum. It just gives. It doesn't take away. Gives, gives, gives. And then on this end of the spectrum, this this other end of the spectrum, this, this love in air quotes that we find here, It takes, and it takes, and it takes, and it has a continual lust for more. Never satisfies. It's the way of the world. It's a love that never has enough. And I do think that the church finds itself on the middle of the spectrum. We see the self-giving, 
self-sacrificing love of Christ on one end, and we think, man, I am sure thankful that Jesus loves us in that way. But surely he doesn't really mean for me to love others like that. Then we see the self-gratifying, self-serving, self-taking love on the other end. And we know that's not how we're supposed to live. But we find ourselves often tempted to live in that way. If you think of this spectrum being on a dimmer switch, the life's the light's about halfway on in the church. We're not living in the dark, but we're not fully living in the light either. And so Paul writes to the church this wonderful message, and it's, it's the message to us today too. This week, don't live in the dark. Next week, live fully in the light So today, I want to give you four reasons based on the text here for not living in the dark. So that's where we're going to be today. Don't live in the dark. Four reasons that Paul gives to us here in verses 3 through 7 for not living in the dark. Number one, don't live in the dark Because the clothes no longer fit. Clothes no longer fit. Paul says in verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because literally these are unfit for God's people. You see, now that we have experienced the love of Christ. Now that we've sat here in verse 2, now that we've allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to define love for us, then sexual immorality and impurity and lust are like old clothes that no longer fit. Have you ever looked at a, an old picture of yourself and you think, man, I, I can't believe that I, I really thought I looked good in that outfit? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. My, uh, my senior year in high school, at least it was this way in North Georgia. This may have just been a North Georgia thing, but um, people wore bulky sweaters and turtlenecks. It's terrible. I look back at uh, some of those pictures, and I think, what was I doing? I don't, I don't even like things on my neck, but I wouldn't wear those clothes today. They no longer fit me. And this is, this is exactly what Paul's saying here. Once you have been in verse 2, man, this contrast, again, I cannot emphasize how striking is this difference. Once you know this, once you've experienced it, once you've been brought out of the dark, if you don't know verse 2, you're still in the dark. But once, you've, once the love of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has brought you out of the dark and you've experienced his love, 
Once you have begun to grasp how high and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ, right? Chapter 3. Once you begin to grow into these holy hand-me-downs of Christ's love, then you just can't picture yourself wearing such clothing again. Sexual immorality, purity, lust. Oh, there was a time you thought you looked good in them. But the clothes no longer fit. And you look back at those old pictures and you think, what was I thinking? Unfit for God's holy people. That's reason number one. Don't live in the dark. Clothes no longer fit. Number two, don't live in the dark because you give instead of get. That's who you are now. And, man, we're going to really talk about this. I can't even get get my words out. We're going to really talk a lot about this next week. You give instead of get, specifically here in verse 4, with our words. Let's read verse 4. He says, Now, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. You see, verse 3, we are people who give love instead of take love, instead of get love. Here, this love, we've experienced this love. When we now give love instead of take love, that's the dark, this is the light. And the same is true now in verse 4 with our words. We now give words, words that build up, words that encourage Thanksgiving, words that give thanks. We don't use words that get, that take. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Obviously, he's not disparaging humor. Um, Interestingly, there's a really clever play on words here in the Greek. The word translated coarse joking and the word translated thanksgiving, they rhyme. Um. And, and man, boy, listen, Paul is not disparaging humor. Christians are to be the most joyful people in the room. Humor is a good thing. God has the best sense of humor. But what Paul's talking about here is humor that's obscene, that's foolish, that's vulgar, that takes, that, that grabs attention, that tries to get attention. See, there's a change of mindset from get to give. We don't want to use any kind of words that are trying to get something from others. We want to use words that give. That's who we are now. As dearly loved children, we talked about this last week in verse 1, about how this dearly loved, it's a word that means contented. And so there's this great imagery there, right, of a child that's so secure, so full, so confident in God's love for them that they're content. And when you're content in this way, you don't have to take love from others anymore. You're full. And when you're content in this way, you don't have to get attention. 
You don't have to do things to get from others that are so obscene or so vulgar that you get attention or grab. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just give. You give thanksgiving. You give thanks. You have everything you need. You're content in God's love. You see, thanks is something that you give to someone else. Again, there's a lot. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving next week, um, but we'll save that for then. For now, we don't live in the dark because we're a people who give and not get. That's point two. Point three, don't live in the dark because you're an inheritor, not an idolater. This is verse five. You are now an inheritor, not an idolater. Verse five, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person Such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, Paul lists these three words in the same order that he does in verse 3 and in the same order he does in chapter 4, verse 19. Anyone who does these things is an idolater. You know, one way to think about an idol is as something that takes everything from you. If you make someone or something an idol in your life, it will take your life from you. It will take all of your time. It will take all of your money. It will take all of your thoughts. It will take your heart from you with a continual lust for more. That's what idols do. And those who live in the dark are part of this. They're idolaters. They even idolize self. They take and they take and they take and they're never content with a continual lust for more. But now you're an inheritor, not an idolater. You're an inheritor in the kingdom of Christ. And as an inheritor, you're now in a position to receive and to participate in the kingdom, not take. You've received an inheritance like none other. You're part of the kingdom of Christ. God, listen, God has given you himself. That's what love does. And God's given you himself. You know, I hate to be the one to bust your bubble, but it might need to be busted this morning. Your inheritance is not a mansion on a hilltop among the streets of gold. Your inheritance is Jesus. Did you know that? You've already received it. You have been given your inheritance in full. You already have it. A relationship with God through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, is your inheritance. There's nothing else coming. Those of you who've been showing up here on Sunday mornings, week in, week out, thinking you're going to receive some kind of additional inheritance, when, that, when, when glory comes, other than Jesus Christ, you're coming to the wrong place. We've been given everything in Christ. And we are content with what we have received. And so, Paul says, you're an inheritor. You're not, you're not an idolater, so don't live in the dark like the idolaters. Just take and take and take and take. 
Live as an inheritor. And then fourth, don't live in the dark because the judgment of God is real. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. You know, we don't, we don't like to talk about judgment. And I don't think that we need to return to a fire and brimstone kind of preaching. But we do need to have a clear understanding of the judgment of God. It's not a scare tactic. It's not a threat. It's real. And Paul writes, do not be deceived with empty words about judgment. You see, people will come along and try to downplay God's judgment. They'll try to make God's judgment meaningless or empty. And Paul says, do not be deceived because it's real. The cross of Jesus Christ is a judgment on everything associated with darkness and death and sin. And I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. You're in one of two camps. Jesus either experienced the judgment of God on the cross for you or you will receive and experience the coming judgment of God when he returns. That's not a threat. It's not a scare tactic. That's real. Let me put it this way to you. A day is coming when God will turn all the lights on. The judgment of God will come as the light of God and will overcome all the darkness. For those of us in Christ, it will come as his glory. For those not in Christ, it will come as his wrath. But darkness will not rule the day. There will be no more darkness. The judgment of God will bring everything out into the light. Those of us who are living in the light have nothing to hide. Those who are living in the dark will live in the dark for the rest of eternity. People who remain in the dark make light of their sin, meaning it's not a big deal. People in the dark, and then interesting, people in the dark make light of their sin. But people who live in the light, we bring our sin into the light because we know a day is coming when the Lord's going to turn all the lights on anyway. So don't live in the dark 
Because the judgment of God is real. So these four great reasons that Paul shares with us here. This, again, this pivotal verse, verse 8. And here before verse 8, don't live in the dark. Clothes no longer fit. You, you, you are now one who, who gives instead of gets, especially with, here with your words. Is the emphasis there in verse 4? You're an inheritor, not an idolater. Judgment. God is real. So Paul's recommendation based on these reasons in verse 7 is not to become partners with those in the dark. You know, that word translated there, be, is the same word uh, in verse 1 that we talked about last week. It's most literally translated as become. In verse 1, we're to become imitators of God. And here in verse 7, it's do not become partners with the darkness. Become imitators of God. Walk in love. Walk in the light. Do not become partners with the darkness. Now, of course, Paul does not mean that we shouldn't associate with those who are not in Christ. For light must come into the darkness but light must not become darkness. We must not participate in the darkness. I was, uh, I was reading a book just kind of on the side this week, and uh, I came across this little part, little portion, and, uh, man, it really got, to, got my attention. It's one of those things you read and you're like, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. Not wrestle with whether it's something I should share in this setting, but I decided to. um, Here's what the author of the book uh, wrote. He said, the pornography industry could not survive without Christian support. Man. Do you hear what he's saying? The author's suggesting that if all of the Christians would just stop using pornography then the industry would lose so much business that it would have to shut its doors. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know this. The church finds itself on the middle of this spectrum. In between the self-giving Love of Christ on one end and the self-taking lust of the world on the other end. And we must no longer be tempted to become partners with the darkness. Instead, let's take the dimmer switch and turn the lights all the way on 
And as dearly loved and contented children, become imitators of God and walk in the selfless, sacrificial, suffering love of the Son. Let's pray. Father, I'm just thankful for your word thankful for your word that's, because it's living and active, it's just as relevant today. It speaks to the human situation today. We don't change. <laughs> humanity, and fallen humanity, the world, we've, we've been doing the same thing we've done for thousands of years. So we're thankful for your word And we're thankful for this message to the church today to to not become partners with the darkness. Do not live in this love that's really lust. And so, Lord, shift our hearts, shift our minds, shift our trajectory, shift our attitude, our perspective toward the love of Christ. Change us. And may we, as dearly loved and contented children, become imitators of God and walk in love. I pray this for each one here today. I pray this for those listening. I pray this for the church universally so that the light will shine into the darkness. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, if you're here and you do not know Christ, if you have not received him by faith, if, you've not, if, you, don't, if you don't know the great love, that extent and, and the height and the width and the depth of the love of Christ for you, then you're in the dark. You're in the dark. And we want you to come into the light. We want you to know the love of Christ. We want you to give your life to Christ. He's given his life for you. He loves you. He knows you. If you're here today and you're in the dark, we want you to come to know Christ today. Let's stand together and sing. Amazing.